Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website, ericlevy.com, under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I am pleased to bring to you Chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. As I mentioned at the end of Chapter 3, the last three verses of Chapter 3 should have started a new chapter. So we begin this year with Chapter 3, Verse 31. In it, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, writes an open letter to his constituents. Nebuchadnezzar malka lechol amamaya umaya v'lishanaya didayirim b'chol ara shlamchon yiskei. Nebuchadnezzar, king of all peoples, all nations, all language groups, who live in the entire world, may great peace be unto you. Atayav timhaya diavad imi elaha ilaa shifar kadamai lahachavaya. The signs and wonders that the God on high has done for me, I have deemed it good to relate it. Atohi kema ravravin vitimhohi kema takifin malchute malchut alam b'shaltane imdar vidar. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an internal kingdom and his rule is forever and ever. Literally with every generation. This should remind you of Tehillim both in its style and its content. Stylistically we have the classic poetic parallelism where a similar, similar and sometimes identical idea is expressed in two different ways in the same poetic line. So we have Atohi Kimarav Ravin Vitimahohi Kama Takifim, which is pretty similar to um, the famous Shabbat Psalm, Psalm 92, among others, which says, uh, From a content standpoint, the words, Machute machut alam v'shaltane imdar v'dar recalls the famous Psalm 145, Machut kol alamim umem shaltacha bechol dorador. In the first verse of chapter 4 now, Nebuchadnezzar relates in his letter, the wondrous acts that God has done, the one that he's been referring to. <clears throat> I, Nebuchadnezzar, was satisfied in my house and pleased in my palace. Shalei is like the Hebrew word shalev, uh, to be satisfied, to be in a good mood, uh, but it often, uh, it, it often foreshadows a sense, a negative sense of complacency, which will negatively affect the, uh, the protagonist at some point, as it will here. I saw a dream and it frightened me, as did the thoughts on my bed, and visions in my head dismayed me. So I sent a command to bring before me all the sages of Bavel in order that they inform me uh, of the meaning of my dream. As we've seen, Chakimei, sages, is a generic term that includes magicians, necromancers, soothsayers of, of all types. Also, remember that in chapter 2, Daniel was put in charge of all the, of these soothsayers. Then the magicians, the necromancers, and the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came, and I related my dream in front of them, but they could not inform me of its solution, of its meaning. Notice that there is a set of four types of soothsayers. As I said before, 
in previous chapters, there are all kinds of sets of four in this book, and it's not by chance. Also, I mentioned that my uh, translation of these types of soothsayers, like the instruments and the other things which are uh, hard to translate, is uh, loose. Um, and based on the Ibn Ezra, I translated Gazraya as astrologers. However, from a text found in the Dead Sea Scrolls called, uh, Dead sea Scrolls, called the Prayer of Nabonides, uh, Gazar seems to indicate some type of exorcist. Um, and in that case, actually, it was a Jewish exorcist that came and cured um, King Nabonides, who dro- uh, he drove away his sanity, his bad spirits. In fact, there are other similarities based on, you know, between that scroll and this chapter. And because of that, some scholars think that uh, our chapter, even though it says it's uh, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, is actually talking about Nabonides. Now, who is Nabonides? Nabonides was the last ruler of Bavel, although he took a 10-year vacation, part of it due to the sickness that I mentioned, setting up uh, a person named Balthazar as a regent in his capital in the capital city. That is, Balthazar was left in the capital city to control affairs, while Nabonides essentially took off to a place called Taman to to take a vacation. Now, while the stories, the story of that's related in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the one that we have here in our chapter are, do have a certain similarity, they're very far from being identical. And um, not only that, there's a lot of connections between chapters 2 and chapters 3, which are focused on Nebuchadnezzar with our chapter. And therefore, it's really, there's no reason not to say that that, that it's uh, Nebuchadnezzar. That is, that's, Nebuchadnezzar is the protagonist uh, in in this story. Verse 5, enter safe and enter um, the uh, hero Daniel. Viad Acharein al Kadamai Daniel di Shmei Belteshasar Kishum Elohi Vidi Ruach Elohin Kadishinbe Vichelma Kadamoyam Rates. After them Daniel came before me, whose name is Belteshasar, based on the name of my God, or who's named after the name of my God, and who has the holy, godly spirit in him. And I related my dream in front of him. Nebuchadnezzar's chief god was was Bel, or his personal god was Bel, uh, who the Babylonians adopted from the Phoenician god Baal, who we know as the essentially the main uh, form of idol worship during the first commonwealth in Israel. The next verse is the words of the king that he speaks to Daniel. Belteshatsar Rab Chartumaya Diana Yid Eight Diruach Elohim Kadishin Baf Choraz Lo Anes Lach Chesvei Chalmi Dichazei to Fishrei Emar Belteshatsar Head of the Magicians whom I know that the godly and holy spirit is in you and no mysteries overwhelm you see my dream that I saw and speak its meaning. That is, tell me what it means. And the vision in my head that I had on my bed, while I was lying on my bed, is this. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree of great height in the middle of the land. The tree was great and strong, and its height, its stature reached to the skies, meaning it seems to have grown and grown while he was looking at it, just like uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. And it was visible to the ends of the earth. Shemaya, 
Its foliage was thick, its fruits were plentiful, it had food for all. The beasts of the fields took shade underneath it, and birds of the skies made their homes in its branches, and from all living, th- and from, from it all living things, literally all flesh, all basar, took their sustenance, took their mazon. Uh, a few things to note here. First, the Aramaic talal is like the Hebrew tsal or tzlal, which become a switch uh, between the tet and the tzadi, which we've seen before. In addition, yud and vav are interchangeable, so uh, the Aramaic chavaya is the same thing as the Hebrew chaya, an animal. Um, another point is that some commentators say ofye is little branches, and some say it is leaves. So I've decided to cheat and have it both ways, and I use the word foliage, which is ambiguous. It, it means probably both little uh, little branches and the uh, the, uh, the the leaves that are on them. Um, third point: the image of the tree represents, no surprise here, Nebuchadnezzar, as Daniel will uh, tell the king. But Daniel does not resolve all the other details about the vision. We're never told what the birds are, what the animals are. Um, according to the Rambam, in his, in his Guide for the Perplexed, some visions have one-to-one translations, which means that each item in the overall image stands for something. Uh, the Rambam gives, uh, as an example of this type of vision, Jacob's ladder, where each part of the uh, vision, the uh, angels going up, the angels going down, the whole shebang, everything has to have a, a every, every image has to have a reference that it refers to. However, he says that there are other types of visions where there are a lot of details, but those details are just to make the vision of the metaphor more realistic and more palatable, but they don't have any meaning that needs to be resolved. Now, I'm not sure what Rambam would say about this one, but Rashi steps in and he fills in what he feels to be the blanks are. Uh, he says the animals are the non-Jewish nations. He says the birds of the skies are the Jewish nations. We could spell it, we could also speculate on other parts of the image. We could say that the tree which grew to the sky signifies uh, a Nebuchadnezzar's hubris, similar to the story in Genesis about the people who built the Tower of Babel to fight against God and built it up to the sky. But as I said, Daniel does not translate anything other than the tree, so we're really left up to our own to do so. There's one other thing that I think needs uh, some mention about whether it should be, whether it refers to something, even though Daniel doesn't mention it, but I'll save that for a little bit later. And now the dream gets supernatural. Verse 10. I saw in the vision in my head while on my bed, and behold, a holy watchman who descended from the heavens, descended from the heavens. Ear here does not mean city, ayin yud resh. It means those who are always awake and alert from the Hebrew air. Um, the angels never closed their eyes, hence the term watchmen. Also, during the Second Temple, the angels were seen to be witnesses of human history and of God's involvement in history, so they were called watchmen, or irim. Uh, Irene. The attribute, uh, of course, of being always awake was before it was applied to angels was was referred to about God. Uh, for instance, the famous verse, "Hine lo yanum velo yishan shomer Israel." He doesn't uh, he doesn't doze, he doesn't sleep, he guards Israel. Uh, the word ear unusually shows up here in the singular form because usually it shows up in the more familiar Irene, such as Irene Kadishin. Anyway, so this Irene comes down from the heavens and does as follows: Kare. Bechayil, Bechaynamar. 
Go do Ilana, Vikatsitsu, Anfohi, Ataru, Afye, Uvadaru, Inbei, Tenud, Cheveta, Mintachtoi, Vitsifraya, Min Anfohi. It, the holy watchman, called loudly and said like this, fell the tree and cut down its branches, shear off its foliage, scatter its fruit, drive off the animals that are under it and the birds from its branches. Biram, Ikar shor shohi bi'ara shivuku uve esur di farzel unachash bedita'a divara uve tal shemaya yitzdaba bimchevta chalakei basav ara. However, leave its main roots in the earth secured by iron and bronze to the grass of the fields and let it quench itself from the rains of the skies and let it get its portion of, that is its food, from the vegetation of the earth alongside the animals. The imagery here becomes very strange since a tree's roots can absorb the rain that comes from the skies, but a tree can't graze. Uh, only something more animated can graze. So what's happening here is what happens often in biblical imagery, which is that you're looking at an image, and then eventually the image fades away, usually towards the end of the, the, the metaphor, and the referent, or what's referred to here as the pesher, starts to fade in, sort of superimposed one over the other. Whatever the tree represents, that is, its, its pesher, is commanded to graze in order to sustain itself alongside the animals. And then in the next verse, verse 13, the tree has completely been replaced by the reference. There's no more tree, and there's only the thing the tree was referring to. Now keep in mind that we're still in the king's letter, which he is sending out to all of his constituents. And at this time, he's relating his conversation to Daniel. Um, the next line, though, is still the angel speaking. His human, his human faculties will change, and an animal's faculties will be given to him, and seven periods, which probably means seven years, will pass by him, which means he'll be in this um, insane state for seven years. The word lave, of course, means mind, not heart here, is because in the ancient times, the heart was considered to be the place of thinking and reason. I use the word faculties, but you could go with reason or sanity or intelligence. It all fits, whatever you think is best. Um, this next verse is still being spoken by the watchman in the dream. Big zerat irin pitkama umeymar kadishin she'elta adivrati yin deun chayaya di shalit ila'a b'machut anasha uluman di yitzbe yitnena ushfal anashim yikim Allah. The verdict is the decision of the watchmen. The resolution comes from the words of the holy ones so that the living will know that the Most High, that is God, controls the kingship of man. He gives it to whom he chooses and can raise up the lowliest of peoples. Now, is this a hint to Nebuchadnezzar that uh, the Jews will eventually be redeemed from their exile? Perhaps, but the book doesn't really discuss it at this point. Um, it leaves this in terms of Nebuchadnezzar's need to respect his subjects because one day they may may rule, it's all up to God. And Nebuchadnezzar's own rule was because of God. Note that the implication is, by the way, that these angels have some ability to control human history in service of and to increase the recognition of God's authority. Now, there are mystical forms, sects of Judaism, and there are other religions as well that have no problem with this kind of angelic independence. However, traditional Judaism rejects the idea that angels have any independence, that they could work on their own and make decisions. And as such, we should read this as uh, metaphoric imagery, like the tree represents Nebuchadnezzar, the watchmen represent God's involvement in human history.
This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, Belteshazzar, speak its resolution, since all the other sages, all the other soothsayers of my kingdom are unable to inform me of its meaning, but you are able since you have the holy, godly spirit within you. You may have noticed that I'm taking some liberties with the translation of Ruach Elohim Kadishin, which is plural, but I don't want to say holy gods, which may be exactly what Nebuchadnezzar said, because he's a polytheist, but I'm not, so I'm leaving it a little bit more vague. But besides my personal discomfort about saying the spirit of the holy gods is inside you, <clears throat> the whole point of this chapter is that Nebuchadnezzar unambiguously recognizes the supremacy, if not the singularity, of God. So perhaps the term refers to angels or some supernatural capabilities. Um, either way, his intent is the same, that Daniel has <clears throat> been gifted with a supernatural spirit and therefore it allows him to understand supernatural things. Ultimately, the news about what the dream means is bad for the king, which is not really good for Daniel, because you know what they say, the messenger tends to be killed, especially what we've seen with Nebuchadnezzar himself. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, became dumbfounded for an hour, a sha'a, or some short period of time, and his thoughts became distressed for the reasons which I mentioned, because he thinks if he tells the king that he's a tree that's about to be chopped down, so uh, that'll be uh, the end of Daniel. But the king responded and said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its meaning distress you. Belteshazzar then responded and said, My master, the dream is for those you despise, and the solution is for your enemies. Um, on a technical note, once again, the ayin of Aramaic replaces the tzadi of Hebrew, so the word arach, Aramaic, is tzarecha, your enemies, in Hebrew. Now, the dream is not at face value for Nebuchadnezzar's enemies. It's for Nebuchadnezzar himself. So Rashi says that Daniel is speaking to God here secretly, as indicated by the word Mari, my master, and that the enemy of God, who Daniel refers to, is in fact Nebuchadnezzar. So he says, theoretically to the king, oh, king, this is about your enemies, but he's really speaking to God, oh God, this is about your enemies, meaning it's about Nebuchadnezzar. Um, now, on the other hand, I think, without creating a secret conversation, it could be Daniel is giving Musser. Uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. That is, he's attempting to educate and discipline uh, by use of words. And in fact, we'll see that Daniel does that later. So maybe uh, with the position that Daniel's in, um, he he figures, you know what, I've got this dream, I might as well just say it as it is. In that case, the question is, who are the enemies? So maybe the sense is, if you don't take heed of this dream and its implications and don't fix yourself, then it will be to your enemy's advantage. If you do take if you do help yourself, then your enemies have, have will have no advantage. And now let's talk about the dream and its interpretation according to Daniel, verses seventeen and eighteen. Ilana di Chazaita di Rava Utkaf Rume Yimte the Shmaya Chazotel Chol Ara the Afiye Shapir Vimbe Sagi Umazon Chola Bay Tacho Tachotohi Tedur Chevat Bera Van Foi Yishkenan Siporet Shmaya the tree that you saw that was great and strong whose height reached to the skies. 
and that was visible throughout the world, whose foliage was thick, and whose fruit was plentiful, and that had food for all, and the beasts lived, in, lived underneath it, the birds in the skies were in its branches. I'm sorry for all the repetition, but that's, that's the style of the, uh, of the writing. A lot of repetition. Antu malkadi ravatu tekeft, urvutach ravat, it is you, O king, who is great and strong. Your greatness increased until it reached the skies and your dominion extends to the end of the earth. And after which you saw a holy watchman descend from the heavens and command to fell the tree and to just to destroy it, but leave the main roots in the ground fastened with iron and bronze to the grass of the fields, and let quench itself from the rains of the skies and take its portion with the beasts of the fields until seven years pass by. This is the meaning, O king, and it is a decision from the Most High, that is from God, that has reached my master, the king. Now Rashi does not say this Mari Malka refers to God as he did before. Although if we do translate this as saying that, uh, that the, that my God approached uh, you, that might mean that he is going to punish you for the fact that you tried to stick your head all the way up towards the God level. But I'll stick to the plain sense. And Daniel continues his revelation of the vision in verse 22. And you will be cast out, divorced from humankind, and you will dwell among the animals of the fields, and you will taste vegetation like oxen, and will quench yourself from the rain in the skies, and seven years will pass you by, until you recognize that the Most High controls the kingship of man, and he gives it to whomever he wants. And that which they, the watchmen, said to leave the main roots of the tree means your kingship will maintain once you recognize that heaven is in control, which means you'll be able to come back to your kingship. It won't be taken away from you, even the UN on a insane hiatus. Before the Musr begins in verse 24, I should point out that I, I hinted above that there are some other things that are not resolved in the image uh, and what I was referring to was this change of chain of bronze and iron. It's never resolved. Uh, Rashi doesn't say anything about it. The Mepharshim don't really say anything about it uh, as far as it having some kind of meaning. Uh, Daniel says nothing about it. Now, the last time we saw these medals, they were significant. That was in chapter 2. They represented um, the third and fourth kings. Some say kingdoms, I say kings, but they represented something. But here... Um, Nebuchadnezzar recovers his own rules, so it's not clear where any other rulers would fit in there. So what do these two medals represent, if anything? I said Rashi doesn't say they mean anything. He says they mean something according to the literal text, that is, that, that we were trying to describe a strong chain which would secure the king strongly. Um, but I wonder whether there's something more to it. I mean, why mention two medals, Nechash 
and uh, and and Barzel, and, and why would they match the metals that we saw before in, in chapter two? I couldn't just say that they were chained to the fields. So I think there's something going on here, but what it is is never resolved. Now let's get to the Musar, uh, which uh, Daniel bravely says to the king: Lahain Malka, Malki Yishbara Lach, Bchataach Bitzidka Pireik. Therefore, O king, here's my advice. Now, the word malki means advice, not king, even though it has the same root as the word king, melech, or malka. Malka means king, malki means advice. Clearly, Daniel is enjoying the play on the words. Anyway, getting back to the verse, let my advice be a benefit to you, absolve your sins with righteousness, and absolve your iniquities, that is, fix your iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor, and then your contentment will be extended, that is, then you will be content for a long time. Um, I think what he seems to be doing is hinting not only to Nebuchadnezzar's treatment of all of his subjects in general, that he needs to treat them nicely, that they are poor in comparison, but he is perhaps referring to the, exile, the exiled uh, uh, Jews as well. Now, it's hard to say who's speaking this next verse, verse 25. Kola mita al-Nebuchadnezzar malka. All of this came to be on Nebuchadnezzar the king. It could be Daniel speaking about the king's fate as if it was already done, even though it hasn't happened yet, as we'll see. But it could be the author of the book is interrupting the king's letter. That is, Anshay Knesset Agdola are interrupting the king's letter. And in fact, it does seem to be that sort of the narrative kicks in on, on the historical narrative kicks in about what actually took place to the king. Although we'll see that at the end of it, the letter will resume. So if it is an interruption, it's not going to interrupt uh, uh, completely. At the end of the 12 months, he, Nebuchadnezzar, was walking around on his palace. Now, kings tend to do this. They tend to walk around on the roofs of their palace. Uh, first of all, it reinforces their sense of control over their kingdom, and it also allows them to gloat over its expanse. Um, and as we've seen in various literature, kings tend to get in trouble when they do this walking around on the palace. Now, you may think that I'm thinking of King David, but I was actually thinking of Dr. Seuss's Yertle the Turtle. If you're not familiar with that story, you should probably uh, read it, and then you'll see what I mean. Verse 27. So the king spoke out, that is, while he was walking around on his palace, isn't this Babylon great, which I built as the center of my empire, with my superior power and my honor and glory, and to my honor, for my honor and glory. Od milta b'fum malka. While those words were still in the mouth of the king, that is, wow, am I great, a voice came from the heavens, a voice came down from the heavens and said, about you, Nebuchadnezzar king, they have decreed that your kingship has been taken from you, and from mankind you have been cast out, and your dwelling will now be with the beasts of the fields, and you will taste vegetation like oxen, and seven years will pass you by, until you recognize that the Most High controls the kingship of man, and he will give it to whomever he chooses. 
Bashata milta safata devucha netzar umen anasha tarid viispa kitorin yuchiyekul umital shemaya gishme yitzdaba adi sarei kenashrin raba vetiperohi kitsiprin. At that time, the edict concluded for the devucha netzar, which means that was it. It was it for him, and he was cast off from mankind, and he, ha- he ate from the vegetation like oxen, and quenched himself from the rain and precipitation from the skies, until his hair became like the great vultures, I guess like a big plume of hair, and his fingernails became like the birds, like talons. Uh, yes, the word sipornayim, the fingernails in Hebrew, comes from the word sipor, a bird, because its talons are its distinctive feature. In the next verse, verse 31, the king is speaking, so apparently we've returned to the letter, uh, and we'll see, this is what will happen after the king regains his sanity. At the end of, the, of these days, meaning in the seven-year period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes to the heavens and my senses returned to me, my sanity returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and I praised the One who lives forever and I gave honor to He whose rule is forever and whose kingship is eternal. The kol dairi ara kilach hashivin ukemitz b'yei aved bechel shemaya v'dairi ara and everything that dwells on the earth are, have no significance. They're not counted. And he does what he wants with the hosts of the heavens and the dwellers of the earth. And there are none who can stop his hand or say and challenge, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and the pride of my kingship came back, and my splendor returned to me, and my counselors and officers searched me out, which means instead of kicking him out of the kingship completely, they welcomed him back as king, um, uh, which means that they request, they, they searched me out for counsel, and even greater power was gathered to me. Finally, closing up the letter, And as such, I, Nebuchadnezzar II, praise and exalt and glorify the King of the Heavens, whose works are all true, they're all correct, and his ways are the law, and who can bring bring the bring the haughty down low, meaning the way he did to me. As I pointed out, there are a lot of um, uh, words from Tehillim here because that seems to be the uh, the um, the format of the chapter. If we looked at this whole chapter historically, then and 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 what Nebuchadnezzar has really just said, I, I would expect Nebuchadnezzar to show up in a nice firm shul and get an aliyah the very next Shabbat. I mean, he really seems to gone to undergone a conversion. But of course, rabbinic Judaism is not so cordial to Nebuchadnezzar, regardless of whether he seems to have an epiphany here. Uh, perhaps this is because. Um, uh, in the end, he was a great destroyer. In the end, they may be looking at this book 
a little more homiletically than historically, than, than this is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe they felt that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a short-lived epiphany and then went back to his ways. Now, it could be that um, Nebuchadnezzar did have some nice days, did have some uh, humble days. And in fact, we do know that he allowed Gedalia to begin nation-building in Judea. And even though that event turned sour because we killed our own, we killed Gedalia, maybe uh, Nebuchadnezzar had some inspired days. In any event, this is the last we hear of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. The next chapter um, deals with the end of the Babylonian dynasty, with the regent uh, Balthazar, who I mentioned above, who should not be confused with Daniel's new name, Balthashatzar, um, as we will see in the next chapter.